The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome. I have two words for you today. Open government. Hmm. Transparency, participation, collaboration. Sounds awesome on paper. But is it there yet? Has it arrived as a true game changer? I have four experts with me today who are going to weigh in on what's happening. First, we'll be speaking with Dr. Natalie Helbig. She says, and I quote, opening government is a perfect storm, but we don't know whether it will just be a lot of data or a sustained and meaningful change in the way we govern and are governed. Now, that's a key point. We govern and are governed. Then we're going to have Russ Lefevre, and he says, Technologies exist to enable open government. The genie is out of the bottle. What needs to change is policy, culture, and the will of government leaders to champion and sustain change. So there again, we have sustained change as a key phrase. We're also going to be speaking to Jean Holm, and she says, when the International Ontology for Space, and I'll get her to define that for you in a minute, we're trying to create the framework by which we can share data about any mission, any project that governments are interested in having us collaborate on. And here's the key. So the whole world is a global space community. That's from one of Jean's former positions, but I found it in a YouTube interview she did, and I thought it was fascinating, so we will talk to her about that. And David Nero says, the city of Boston has made significant investments during the last five years to uplift its technology and business solutions portfolio. So with David, we'll be drilling down to a city as government. I hope you'll stick around for the next hour and join us for insights on open government. Is it a game changer yet? Welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers, and that's who my guests are every single week right here on the Business Channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. In my other life, I'm known as Radio Red, but here I'm just Bonnie D. Graham from SAP, and I'm just delighted to be here. This is a very exciting topic. If you want to tweet to us during the show, hey, the lines are open at pound sign SAP Radio. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tell us what you're drinking on your coffee break, you might even hear your name on the show. So let me do a couple of brief introductions here, and let's have everybody just say hello, and then we'll dive into the quotes. Dr. Natalie Helberg is a Senior Research Associate at the Center for Technology and Government at SUNY Albany. Those of you who aren't from New York, that's State University of New York, near and dear to me, I'm a New Yorker. Uh, her current projects look at the use of information to improve governance. Hello, Dr. Natalie, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for joining me. We have a lot more to talk with you about in a minute. Russ Lefevre, are you on the line yet? 
We're waiting for Russ. I'll tell you about Russ briefly. He'll not there. He'll be joining us in a little while. Russ is a VP of Industry Marketing for SAP, a frequent speaker on government policy, management, and tech issues, and we'll push him down to the bottom of the list until he can join in. I know he's very busy today. Gene Holm is the Chief Knowledge Architect at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. She's an evangelist for Data.gov, which is an open government flagship project for the White House, managed by the GSA. She's a fellow of the UN International Academy of Astronautics and a distinguished instructor at UCLA. Welcome, Jean Holm. How are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be Thank here today. You. Oh, delighted to have you. So much to talk about. And David Nero is Director of Technology for the City of Boston Department of Innovation and Technology. I've never heard of that department before, David, and I can't wait to find out for you what it's all about. It's Do It. I love the initials. D, capital D, small O, capital IT, Solutions, empower business partners across Boston City departments and deliver services more efficiently. How are you today, David? Great. Wonderful. Thanks for joining us. So let's dive into our quotes. Let's start off with Dr. Natalie Helbig. Opening government is a perfect storm. Let's take it from there. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, opening government has technically been around for uh, quite a long time, but this most recent movement is really the culmination of um, several years of not only technological advancement, but also um, policy and and mindset shift within government about the way that we use technology to, um, you know, improve government and open government to the people. And so it really, it, it, it's different than uh, previous manifestations of, of using technology in government, and it, it's really kind of a remarkable effort. Um, we have uh, sustained effort at the federal level to uh, change policies and to use technologies to to really think about government differently, about the way we are governed, and about the way that citizens should interact with government differently. So it's we don't know what's going to happen yet because all these things are sort of coming together, but that's sort of the perfect storm. Natalie, tell me something. Whose idea was this in the first place? Change has to come from somewhere. Was it a person? Was it a political party? Dare I ask that in an election year? Woohoo, I'm so bad. Uh, where did it come from? Whose idea was it that we have to have this openness, this transparency, collaboration? Did it come from somebody wanting to get more votes, like, wow, let's give the people what they want? Or was it a ground roots, grassroots swell from the people? What do you think? Well, I think there, there's probably folks would answer that differently depending on their perspective, but I think it, it really was um, all of those things. Um, you had a lot of folks that were not happy with the way that um, government was sort of interacting with the public, um, whether it be your legislative um, elected officials or your government organizations. And knowing from the outside that we have all of this change going on with, um, you know, being able to access, um, uh, you know, corporations and organizations in relatively real time, getting them on the phone, finding out things. People have come to expect that they want that sort of interaction with their government. So that, so that was mm-hmm. one trend. Another trend was okay. the fact that we had a lot of folks in the technology world that were working on these new ways of thinking about uh, open data and open architectures and that idea of openness, which started as sort of 
nobody really owns, you know, my code or nobody really owns mm-hmm. my architecture um, sort of spilled over into the thinking of, well, nobody owns my data then. So it, it was just sort of um, lots of different things coming together. Interesting. So an idea whose time had come. So let's turn, thank you, Natalie. Let's turn to Jean Holm. Jean, I know I picked up a quote about the International Ontology for Space, but I was so fascinated about the idea of governments collaborating on a global space community, I had to include it in the intro. So can you tell us, first of all, what is it like to be the chief knowledge architect at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory? Can you tell me what that job is? Sure. So my regular day job is serving as the convener of collaboration and knowledge management technologies across NASA and with the Department of Defense. Um, and so that's where the work had I'd been referring to about the International Ontology for Space and the global space mm-hmm. community. But I've really taken that work. I'm currently on detail to GSA as the evangelist, my formal job title, for data.gov, mm-hmm. which is an open government flagship um, project for the current administration. And the idea about the international ontology is really building this ecosystem around open data, kind of what Natalie was referring to about how we are trying to act differently within the government to help citizens both inform, be informed, and help to transform government. And the ontology helps to connect and make interoperable interoperable all of the data that we have across not just our own government, but other governments to help make those informed decisions. Does this give people a sense that they're being listened to and that it matters to share and care? And and I'm going to sound really corny here, Jean, but to bring nations together, you know, make war no more, a a little bit of idealism creeping in here. But but the idea of sharing in a global space community, sharing technologies and advancements and hopes and dreams for a better future, is this something that's going to glue people together a little nicer, a little better? Well, I think not just in the space community, but overall what open data has the possibility for and what we're seeing it do is empower people to make the changes they need to make in their local areas. So if I want to make a change in human rights in my country or education Mm -hmm. or health, then I can do that better by having data behind the things that I can power and also data in comparison to how other nations or other cities are acting and reacting. I think it's really important for government agencies to not just sort of broadcast out things like data, but also Mm -hmm. to have lots of venues for people and citizens to respond back, ask for more, ask for different, and be able to be heard and have the government react and change to them. Very interesting. Have the government react and change. Very important. David Nero, let's drill down to the Boston level. And by the way, I was a resident of Cambridge, Mass. for several years, way back when. I won't tell you how long ago because it'll date me. But I went, I'm went. i a graduate of BU. That's the second college where I completed my degree. So I have a fondness for your city. So tell me a little bit about what you see as open government vis-a-vis how you're running the city of Boston. Well, you know, I think the the city's experience as a direct government service provider is about accessibility um, and and services, really. I mean, we are in the business of providing services directly to our customers, so our constituents, our visitors, you know, whoever is leveraging the city at any given time. And so we look for opportunities to improve um, the delivery of those services. And, and, if, and if open government is a way for us to improve those services, then we are, we as the IT organization, Innovation and Technology, are focused on on adding value-add services and not not really just open government for the sake of being another government that is following the open government model, but really focusing in areas that are going to add 
value to the customer. And so that's that's been our experience is, is to try to not necessarily just be the next government that's doing it, but really try to use open government as another way of us uh, providing better service. How do you tell that to the citizens of Boston? I, and I know from experience that you are largely a college town, if I can use the word town in a very fond, colloquial way, David. Uh, you are made up of, I don't know, last I was there, what is it, 20, 30, 40 colleges? So you have a very young population. And I lived in North Cambridge where it was a very ethnically mixed, multi-generation, very long-term population. So how do you deal with, with that bigger conglomeration, conglomeration of different populations and telling them, hey, government's trying to do it better what would you like to do how do you talk to them well i mean it starts with the mayor so the mayor is uh i think the longest standing mayor in in the country so he is very much um out there and he is uh he is in uh he's in the city he's meeting people and i think that translates back into how we as an organization kind of deal with our customers and so you know we don't want to leave anyone behind we don't want to leave um, different constituencies behind because they might not have accessibility to particular technologies, and that works both ways. We also want to cater to those citizens that do have um, technology to be able to engage with us. So, you know, enabling mobile applications for constituents. You know, we've launched an application called Citizens Connect, which enables um, uh, our customers, our citizens, to engage with us directly using a mobile application, and that has been kind of transforming for us because it it you know it personalizes the the service and it really puts a face to the service and in some cases you have to prior to that you'd have to visit city hall you'd have to visit a physical location you have to make a phone call and i think more and more you know a certain segment is expecting us to be a little bit more, more nimble and a little more um, technologically focused and i think if if that appears to be more open which i think it is i think that's then going to spawn more activities that are going to allow us to provide more data and allow more conversations about the data. So it's hard. I mean, it's a very diverse set of customers, so you have to try to, you have to, try to do the best you can to service all of them. Well, it sounds to me like your heart's in the right place, and you know my heart's in the right place because I am at the breaking point here. We are at our first break here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I have esteemed guest Dr. Natalie Helbig. I have Gene Holm and David Nero. We may have another guest joining us, not sure, but we're having a good time. When we come back, we'll find out what they're drinking today. What's the preferred coffee break drink of the people who are helping to open government for you and you and you? Don't even think of touching that mouse. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Is marketing making us ill? And if it is, how can we heal humanity and the planet by changing the way we sell? This is Lynn Serafin inviting you to join me and a great lineup of thought leaders in business, media, and marketing on The Seven Graces of Marketing, Mondays at 6 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. So let the dialogue begin. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. To speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.graham at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We are back, and it's time to find out what our brilliant panel are drinking. Dr. Natalie Helbig, what are you drinking today? Something fantastic, I'm sure. What do you think? You know, it's really hot out there, and so I'm drinking a lime fresh. It's limeade, lime seltzer, and a hint of mint. Ooh, that's a first. Do you know something, Natalie? This is the 41st live show. We took a week off for July 4th, so the 41st live show in 42 weeks, and I think that's the first time the word lime has come into, I think, <laughs> into the coffee break. Thank you. I love it. I want one. I, can I go and get? No, I'll have to wait till after the show. Great. Gene Holm, are you drinking something astronomically or astronautically correct, or what are you drinking today? Well, I'm out here in sunny Southern California in Los Angeles, but my cup is brimful of optimism and caffeine, powered by cherry Pepsi. <laughs> oh, we have a good group today. This is delicious. David, what's popular in Boston? I know you are in a building with air conditioning in the background, keeping you cool. So what are you drinking to keep you even cooler than you are? So I am drinking a Snapple iced tea. And yes. one of the reasons I drink it is because they have fun facts on the cap. And their fun facts are about America's Got Talent. This, I think this month, and it says America's Got Talent contestants have waited in line for 24 hours to audition for the show. So that's my, uh, that's my cap for the day. Wow, I love it. Thank you. That's the first time we've had a cap read on the air. I have a couple of tweets here. We have the lovely Kristen from Miami joining us, and she's drinking Cafe Con Leche, or translated as Cuban Coffee with Milk. Thank you, Kristen. I appreciate that. And Kate McNeil says on Twitter, time to brew a pot of Pete's Tweets for Pound Sign SAP Radio. We appreciate that, Kate. Thank you so much. There's one new tweet here. Let's see. Uh, okay, Peg... 
Peg Kate says, message for you, Natalie, I want what Natalie Helbig is drinking. So, Natalie, we're going to have to get some coupons going out there. Okay, time to get back to our topic. Let's, let's, we're going to enter the roundtable phase now. And, Natalie, since we started with you, where would you like to go? Into, you, you sent me some wonderful things. We've already talked about the perfect storm. Um, let's see. Opening government is a response to the perception the problems faced by governments are beyond their ability to solve alone. And providing citizens, employees with information as part of the solution. So let's go back to what you and I were chatting about a minute ago in terms of opening this conversation. Uh, how do you see this happening? Is it a game changer yet, or is this just really in the we think we're going to try to do it, and one of these days it will be there? What do you think? Well, I, I think we're doing it, um, and I think government governments, at least in the U.S. and, and various places around the world, are doing it. They're, the, the key is that putting data out there is, is relatively easy and putting information mm-hmm. out there is relatively easy. Um, but the, the key rationale for putting data and information out there is to change these behaviors, not only within government and how government administrators and managers do their work, but also outside of government and how citizens make decisions or better or create better choices for themselves or how businesses find ways to add value to this information. And all those types of behavioral changes are the things that those are going to take time. We see them mm-hmm. happening in, in sort of easy-to-see ways, you know, with transit data. When we combine transit data with the way that people use their cell phones, that makes sense. It's really easy to figure out. That's a great idea. But when we try to do these things with, with more difficult and tangled government problems, such as, mm-hmm. you know, health care or... Um, or welfare benefits, or even, you know, child protective services, these are the things that really are going to transform the way government works with citizens and interacts with, with the public. And, and so that's what, I'm, that's what I would be waiting for, is <laughs> that next wave. Natalie, do you think people really realize when they pick up their iPhone, their Android, their tablet, and they're getting that traffic information or that subway information? I'm, I'm thinking of uh, what's going on in Boston with the transit because I was on that for years. Uh, do you think they realize that that is government helping them, giving them data? Or do you think they just say, oh, this is how the subways are running. It's cool. I have it on my – I have an app. What do you think? Do they realize this is a conversation with their government? You know, that's that's a very good question. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, my guess is that most of them uh, maybe have a, an idea, but they they don't know really what it might have took what it might have took to get that to them in such a way. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. That's what I'm thinking is there, there might be more open government than we realize, and we don't know that's where it's coming from. Let me ask, let me bring Jean Holm into this. Jean, you sent me another quote. You say those in government have an ongoing responsibility to listen to the citizens and respond to their needs and requests. In our fast-paced, mobile-enabled, keyword there, mobile-enabled and social network society, this means agencies need to be listening in many places and responding with effective change and action. How big do you think this task is, Jean Holm? Do you think that this is something, uh, it's one subway report at a time, one traffic report, one airline, I don't know, whatever it is the government's involved in, and it's so pervasive. How do you think they're going to do this? Is it one little bite at a time, or is it already bigger than that? Well, everything occurs with one step on a journey, but but Mm -hmm. really what we're talking about is the building of an ecosystem around open data, which means that there are millions and millions of players in that ecosystem. So just to give you some quick numbers, on data.gov, we have 396 
people at agencies who are focused on helping to take the data that they create for in, often internal reports or gathering data about science activities and putting that out onto data.gov. To date, they put out over 450,000 data sets that are available for the public. Many of those were data sets that were never available before. Some are geospatial, some are related to health, safety, um, traffic, energy. One of our very active communities is around ocean data and pollution. Mm. And all of that um, information, all of those people are really in support of the tens of thousands of developers creating interesting apps the hundreds of thousands of people who come to data.gov and the millions of people who benefit from that information, both here in the U.S. and abroad. Jean, who decides and who vets the choices of what data gets shared? Is this something, uh, I will just come right out and say, is this something uh, President Obama sits down at a table with his cabinet and says, okay, we need a little more openness here. Let's now go to data.gov and let's open up a stream of information for XYZ that we've never done before. Does it have to go to a vote of Congress before it gets opened up? I'm seriously interested in the process of deciding what data gets made available to the public. Do you know? Sure. Well, it actually Good. happens at sort of both ends of the spectrum. So a lot of our data is suggested by citizens. So you can go to data.gov, you can tweet USData.gov, and I'll be responding. You can um, just sort of raise your hand up at any one of our many, many, many events or, or virtual events as well. And you can suggest a data set about something that we may not have released in the past or maybe not released in a format that's usable for you. Um, the president himself actually is also focused on a variety of national priorities on data.gov and open data. So in the UN General Assembly last year, as part of the Open Government Action Plan, he specifically focused on six areas of open data for data.gov and our communities in that area. And those were health, law, energy, safety, research and development, and what we were t focused on was really trying to create these communities, which are groupings of people from the government, from industry, from academia, general citizens, developers, sometimes our international partners, who can together help to drive forward the release of more data and the um, gathering of data that maybe the, the government is not currently gathering. We do go through... One check, two checks actually on data.gov. One mm -hmm. is the agency has to be sure that the data they're releasing is in compliance with their own Quality of Information Act and a variety of other federal activities. And secondarily, once we get the data at data.gov, we double check two things. One, does it violate any national security um, issues? Because maybe by putting two data sets together, we somehow reveal more than one data set by itself. And secondarily, we are very um, focused on protecting the privacy of American citizens. So we do gather information in the government, obviously with the IRS and sometimes with our Department of Education, which can point to information about a specific individual. And we always make sure that we never release any of that information and that we sometimes anonymize information that could reveal private information. Interesting. And I am at data.gov right now, and I will just, and we're going to get uh, David on this segment, David, so bear with me for a second here. I'm looking at the data and apps column at www.data.gov, and I'm going to read this quickly. Very impressive. 1,279 government apps, 236 citizen developed apps. If you read some of these numbers already, Jean, forgive me for the repetition, but I think it's important. 103 mobile apps, 172 agencies and sub agencies. Agencies. And here's the key. Suggest a data set or app 
exclamation point. I love it. So that to me is open government. Now let's move to Boston. What are you doing about this? Do you have a similar site where you say to your population, David Nero, hey, tell us what you want. Maybe we'll give it to you. How does that work? So we're we're really just in the early stages of kind of pushing our open data, open government um, initiative forward. So we don't have anything close to comparable to what the federal government has. So we do have some uh, we we do have some data on our website, and I, so but we don't really make we don't publicize it because uh, frankly we just not, did not feel like we're in a position to. Um, uh, you know, to get it out there in a way that, that we feel like is robust enough. So we're actually in the process of trying to um, put that infrastructure and put that um, put that in place. And so we don't have that yet, but we certainly want to get to the point where um, open data and um, exposing data for multiple purposes is kind of a natural extension of what we're doing as an organization. So, but you know, as as I think I pointed out in my comments back to you, it's it's very you know this is very resource intensive, um, mm-hmm. and we are we are focusing most of our efforts historically have, have been on just getting systems into these organizations where they have never existed before. So in many cases, we have agencies that are that have no data in terms of it being in a application in a database, and so. A lot of our work for the past few years has been getting into those areas and really getting them an application, which then gets us to the point where we have data and we can make choices about which data we are going to make available. So we're a little bit late to the game, I think, but probably that's probably not um, atypical for municipal government mm-hmm. because I think most of our challenges are really on the back end side. And I think, um, you know, I think, I think are the next wave. So certainly, a big initiative for us is to uh, is to develop a, an open data platform and is to really be using data for analytics. And you know, certainly one of our biggest customers is our own internal decision makers, and and that's not been something that has been a uh, a, a key here. But it's starting, to, I'm starting to see that more and more. And so we're trying to underpin uh, our organization with with better tools and better data. And so. So we're, it's a work in progress here, no question. Thank you, David. And, and I love the way you dropped in the term analytics when we come back. We're already at another break point here. When we come back, I'd like to talk to David and Natalie and Jean about analytics and business intelligence. Is there a big strategy behind the BI approach of government to get this information out there? And maybe we'll come up with an app we're all going to ask for to some government organization after the show and see if we get it. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers here on the Business Channel. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Network. Tune in for What About Wealth every week to learn the vital answers to your questions about creating wealth, investing it, donating it, and protecting it. Your hosts 
are Rich Bloomfield and Rick Durfee, who explain the principles that govern wealth in terms you can understand. Building and preserving positive wealth requires correct action, but few people know how wealth really works. Listen every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and find the answers you need about wealth. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. To speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.graham at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag, pound sign, S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And here we are, just where we left off. We have an interesting segment coming up. I'll give you a little clue as to some of the topics we talked about on the break. We're going to be talking about business intelligence, data analytics. We're going to be talking about what are citizens, and those of you who are listening live somewhere. You're a citizen of some locality, municipality, and a bigger government somewhere. So what are citizens like you doing with the data? What can you do with the data? What maybe should you be doing with the data you haven't thought of yet? And we're going to talk about that dark side topic of, ooh, data privacy. What should the government know about what you're doing with the data they're giving you? What data should be protected that the government should be giving you? So it's a, a big, broad brush overview of what we're going to be covering. David Nero, City of Boston. Let's start out with business intelligence strategy on the part of the city of Boston what's happening so we are literally in the you know the early stages of moving a an initiative forward around business intelligence analytics and you know prior to this call I was actually in the process of building a, a presentation for our an internal team to talk about how we're going to move this initiative forward so we re- you know we made an investment in a platform uh, about six months ago we we're starting to get our resources lined up you know, our goal is to stand up a handful of pilot analytical projects across five different uh, business functions and leverage the platform and really exercise the tools um, and really demonstrate the value and demonstrate the power um, of analytics. As I said before, I don't think the city organization historically has been um, analytical in most cases and and it, you know we're fairly reactive operational i think there's a they're starting i'm starting to see a shift and so we're we're trying to get in front of that and provide uh an environment an analytical environment for folks to work in and so i'm biting this off into kind of a 6 month project um i know it'll take significantly longer than that but um 6 months is kind of what makes sense for us in the early stages so hopefully by the end of the calendar year 
we will have set up and established a you know a working uh, fairly robust analytics environment where we are um, where we are changing the game you know if we are helping decision makers make better decisions with data so that's really what it's about that's what it's all about gene what's your perspective on this game changer aspect of bi business intelligence from the data.gov position well, I think it's really important to not only put the information out there, but as David points out, to do it in ways that people can understand, visualize, and um, sort of parse out the data, and also to mesh it up with other data. So we have a couple of capabilities on data.gov with our interactive data sets that let you, without any programming, with just a few clicks of the button, be able to put something on a map, to visualize it, to, to compare two different data sets or two different things to see if there's a correlation there. I think sometimes in the government I hear from, you know, formal statisticians that that they want to be careful about how people use the data and understand it. And from my perspective, I think it's all about making it open for people because those analytics that David was referring to, those those insights and analysis are really for the citizens to decide based on the data and for us to open it up in really interesting ways. There's a fascinating application developed called Patients Like Me. And um, a fellow who had lost his brother to a rare form of cancer created this website and application that lets you put in your, your symptoms and connect to other people, connect to clinical trials and, and new mm. drug therapies and find help for people who have both normal, both common and rare diseases. And it's been a lifesaver for so many people. And we see that over and over again. I can imagine it's a lifesaver on many levels, uh, Gene, not just on if you find something that works, but just being able to communicate with people, creating a community of people who have a very narrow niche focused and unfortunate common interest. That alone to me is a service if government's providing that, just to be able to let people connect with somebody who gets it, and that probably is doing a lot of good as well. Natalie, what do you think about putting the data in the hands of the citizens and what should they be or not be doing with it from your point of view? Well, I think Gene uh, raised um, an interesting sort of back-and-forth debate that's going on between, you know, uh, formally trained statisticians and being able just to see the data and make up your own mind. And um, I think that government has... Um, a big responsibility here to be able to put the data out in a way that is not only fit for use, meaning that it's, you know, accurate, it has all the confidentiality protocols that you need to follow, but also that provides the context for which uh, citizens should interpret this data. And I think that that is one of the biggest things going forward that we really need to pay attention to because without that context, while it's free for the you know the citizen to to sort of explore what they're what they're looking at they really may not have the in-depth expertise not even expertise mm-hmm. but in-depth knowledge of of what that data should or should not be sort of uh, expressing and that can that can you know be helpful in in a lot of ways to folks who are just experimenting with information and sort of trying to wrap their heads around it but it can also be um, not so, not so, not, not such a good result in in the idea that people misinterpret what government is doing and how it's doing and how well it's doing by not having the correct context. So I think you know being able to put this information out in a context-rich mm-hmm. way um, through the visualizations, through more metadata that 
that those kinds of things will really improve our chances of being able to, um, you know, make the behavior changes that we're looking to do. Interesting. That brings to mind what you just said, brings to mind a couple of old saws. We used to call them old sayings or old saws. Uh, ignorance is bliss. I don't think people buy that anymore. The other one is a little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing. And that kind of, of mantra that basically says, uh, and, and people say statistics lie. Well, we know you brought up such a good point. Out of context, you can do anything even dangerous and subversive with a little bit of data that happens to be true. But when you take it out of its environment of credibility and validity and use it somewhere else, and we all know that happens. I have a question before we get to the privacy issue. Quick question for each of you it's an election year we can't run we can't hide we can't none of us are under a rock especially the three of you in terms of that do you think that there's a push or an urgency a, a gut level shall we call it a stomach turning or fire in the belly is a better word fire in the belly feel of urgency on the part of government in an election year to quickly come up with stuff that will make people feel more connected and more favorable to that current government that current regime I know that's a dangerous question, but just quickly, uh, do you think that it, this could be something that's a, a wrong motivation? In other words, to release data too soon or the wrong data? Let's start out with uh, Natalie. Quick, what do you think? Well, I, I think it then, you know, it goes back to the way that you see these things. You know, releasing the data, even if it's not um, in its perfect form, is can be a good thing. Citizens okay. can help. Um, create the quality that you need um, by providing, you know, new and, and improved information. So, you know, it's a really it's a really hard thing because it really goes back to the mindset of, of how do we view this data, what is the purpose of the data. And so, you know, folks are going to release things, and it's how you handle the, the interactions and the information relationships after they're released and, and the expectations you set. Good point. Anybody else want to chime in on that? Well, I, this is Dave. I'll, I mean, I'll chime in on it from yep. again, from more from a city perspective. Um, we are not in a mayoral elect, election year, but um, next year, the year following, will be. And, and I, I, having been here as long as I have, I have seen um, once the election cycle begins, the amount of attention that gets paid to um, trying to uh, not only from the public but also from the press and, and other folks that are. Um, motivated to try to um, get the government to provide data um, that ultimately might influence the political outcome. And so, you know, our job, I think, is to abide by the law, you know, the Freedom of Information Act and, and other rules that are that are governing us, but not in a way that um, is, is so reactive that we're not paying attention to what our obligations are. So it can definitely add pressure uh, to just kind of the normal operation um, and mistakes can be made, no question. If you don't, if you're not careful, uh, mistakes can be made. So it, it, it definitely changes. It changes the environment while it's going on. I'll, I will speak to that. And I thank you very much. Yes, please I go ahead. Add in that I actually don't think opening data is a political issue at all. Um, we have 34 states in the U.S. that have open data sites, 15 cities, and 30 nations across the globe, and they all have different kinds of folks in charge, different perspectives. I think the value of opening the data is not about politics, but about economics, and everybody's starting to realize that. Just last week, we held the International Open Government Data Conference. We had over 4,500, uh, 4,000 viewers online, and over 700 people came face-to-face -to, -face to meet in Washington. We had 60 countries represented, and it's just a huge um, effort moving forward, and I think uh, that everybody's starting to understand the value. 
Thank you very much. And you know what? We're almost at our break again, but we have to talk about privacy because I promised we would. I think we're almost at that point of talking about privacy. Natalie, Dr. Natalie Helbig, what do you think? How to handle the dilemmas of privacy of data? Should the government know what data you are using, the apps you're downloading? Should they be tracking that? Is that the privacy you're concerned about? Well, it's not the privacy I'm concerned about because I know that government tends to be a very good steward of of um, personal and private information. I think it's more trying to communicate the value of using that information to the benefit of citizens. And so there are certain things that government could do that would be of value to citizens, but in the cast in the wrong light or not explained well enough, it may come across as intrusive or invasive to your privacy. And so I think the the dilemma is balancing the need for trying to utilize these new um, ways of, of looking at data and analytics and really getting the citizens' point of view and involvement and getting them on board to knowing that government is a good steward of, of personal and private information. Good. And you know what? We're up against our break again. When we come back, as no, and the new ones are going to find out fast what we do in the last segment. It's called the crystal ball. I'm going to ask my esteemed guest to look ahead five years. It could be five minutes, five weeks, five months, five years, or 50 years. Look ahead and tell me what is happening in your crystal ball with open government down the road. Future predictions coming up right here. Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'll be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. 
To speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag, pound sign, S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And it's crystal ball time. We're ready to wrap up here. So let's talk to Dr. Natalie Helbig, our Senior Research Associate at the Center for Technology and Government at SUNY Albany in New York. Dr. Natalie, what do you see five years ahead or fill in the blank? Well, five years is, is definitely a, a tough time frame, given the fact that technology does change so quickly. Um, as far as opening government's concerned, personally, I, I'm very optimistic that the ideas and the the motivations and the sort of ensuing cultural shift has has taken root in a lot of different parts of of government. Um, I'm I'm concerned about sustaining the citizens' interest in um, using technology and information to change the way that we govern and are governed. I think certain areas of opening government are going to, um, you know, take hold and really go forward, such as the, you know, as we mentioned, the, 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 the changes in, in being able to see transit information or transactional mm-hmm. data on traffic changes and patterns. Um, I'm I'm less inclined to think that there's going to be major changes unless we really work towards them in the other naughty areas of government, such as child protective services or um, areas that tend to be harder things to solve. And I think that's going to take, you know, a real sustained effort in really understanding the need for better ways to conceptualize how we understand the relationship between citizens and government and what citizens want and to really model those relationships and really figure out how, you know, what is, what is the balance that government and citizens and the rest of the folks in the ecosystem, as they call it, play in this, you know, this, this governance arena? And, and that's a big question. It's complex. Government is, is very complex. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes hard to figure out where you can plug into this, you know, this, this big thing. And so I think, you know, in one to two years is probably a very crucial um, a crucial time frame from opening government to really move beyond not just the opening data part, but to really keep these sustained efforts. And there are remarkable efforts going on out there. So really to keep those things going forward, and um, I think that would, in the end, produce the, the sustainable change that sort the open government proponents are, are really advocating for. Thank you, Natalie. Great information. Let's turn to Jean Holm, evangelist for data.gov, now my favorite new website. Jean, five years. Is that too far to look in your crystal ball? What do you see, please? It is not too far. Um, I ah. see a global change where citizens are powered to transform their governments. Because behind the open data, behind the open government movements, is really it's about transparency. We saw some of this happening with the Arab Spring last year whereby making it easier for people to understand the freedoms that they have under different types of government, that people are able to cause transformation within their own government, whatever that is, including here in the United States. I see a future where we have data-driven decisions, that citizens are able to make 
better informed decisions about everything from energy to consuming goods to safety to um, child welfare. And it's not just citizens, but the government is better able to make policy decisions that are representative of what those citizens want. And additionally, it's about getting that information to kids. It's transforming part of our educational structure in a way that lets kids understand what data is and be able to look at it, not be afraid of it, be able to manipulate it, and create their own apps and capabilities that help other kids or that help transform the government. And kind of from a very technical underpinning, we are seeing the beginnings of this whole capability that David was referring to earlier with business analytics, where we're trying to open up data in different and more interoperable and more usable ways. And uh, Sir Tim Berners-Lee, one of the founders of the Internet um, in the UK, had talked about five-star data, where we take information that may be in very simple formats and eventually manipulate it and, and create it so that it's very interoperable in a variety of open-linked formats. So I see a future where our government, our, our industries, academia, city and federal governments, tribal governments here in the U.S., are able to publish that open linked data as a standard operating practice. It's just part of what they do every day. And this whole conversation that we're having about having to drive forward open data is not the conversation we have in the future. The conversation we have in the future is about how that data has transformed our lives. Thank you, and I love the fact you brought in the idea of bringing children into this. This is great, and we can discuss that on our future show. David Nero, Director of Technology, City of Boston, Department of Innovation and Technology, finally known as Do It. What's the future hold past six months for the City of Boston and open government, David? Well, I, I feel obligated to come up with some sort of innovative answer uh, based on the name of our department. Um, but, I, you know, I think uh, I would echo the fact that this is really about this is more about transforming the way government operates and how um, how we deal with our customers. And you know, and every it seems like every day, every week, we're reading about another government that's filing for bankruptcy. And I think the economics involved in running governments is forcing governments to change how they operate. And you know, where where transparency and where open data fits into the priorities of government is going to be probably one of the biggest challenges because without Without momentum, without leadership, without proper, you know, resources, um, none of what is transformative, very little of what's transformative can really happen. And so it's going to be, I think, unless the economics change, um, or at least that the leadership doesn't recognize that the way governments have to change, um, you know, it's going to be hard to make transformative change, but certainly the tools are there. There's no question the tools, the tools are there. They will be there. I think, um, if, if, those folks working in government, folks like myself, can um, can really be creative and can um, spend a, a portion of our time pushing this topic forward. Then I think the transformation can happen. But it, it, considering the economic climate and the way that continues to put a cloud over things, it it, it gets hard. It's 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 difficult to pull off and sustain. I think uh, one of the two panelists mentioned sustainability at some point, and that's key you know if you if you're going to do it to do it that's one thing but if you're going to do it and sustain it that's a different model altogether and so that that has to be part of the discussion 
Thank you. And I would predict that if you are all as successful and your optimism proves to be true and this all plays out, that we won't talk about open government. We'll just talk about government because it will will be open. That would be one of my wishes. It's time for me to do some predictions, and I've got mine written down, so they're really easy. <laughs> Next Wednesday, July 25th, we're going to be talking about retailers we love to love, case studies on what's making retail rock in terms of customer experience, part two. We did that show on February 15th. We're coming back with more. Wednesday, August 1st, Smart Grid Utilities, Shining the Light on Big Data, also a part two. Tomorrow, In the Cloud with Game Changers. I hope you'll join me 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. And we're going to be talking about, is the cloud for large or small enterprises or both? Right-sizing the cloud for your business. And Thursday, July 26th, integrating the various clouds. The perfect storm. What a perfect, were you able to say perfect storm for so many things today? I have some thank yous to Patricia Harris, Joan Sherlock, Malcolm Kimberlin, Kate McNeil, and Peg Cates. Yes, you will get the pony. And the Business Channel team. And I want to say to our listeners, go out and be a game changer for your country, for your company, for your your government, for your city, for your business, whatever it is. Have a great week, everyone, and thanks to my special guests, David Nero, Dr. Natalie Helbig, and Jean Holm. You all rocked and rolled. Appreciate your joining me for our topic, Open Government. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You've been listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Go out and have a Game Changer week, and we'll see you tomorrow on In the Cloud with Game Changers right here. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.